Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm Peter Sunderland with your host. Hey, y'all, it's Luke. What's going on? So I'm sitting here. Obviously, that was Pete. I'm also here with Evan and Perry. You know, Perry and Evan are on here all the time. But uh, we're going to bring Pete back on, and we're going to talk about kind of where we're at with the marathon train up and the powerlifting stuff and kind of that, you know, kind of the, the next iteration of that burning the ships episode that we had back on episode two. If you haven't listened to episode two, stop this right now, go back, listen to episode two, and then jump back in. But before we get to episode two, I have to need to address a couple of things that I noticed as I was uh, editing and playing back the episode from last week. And there's a few things that I kind of misspoke on, just talking about pigs and such. Um, and some things I just didn't know. When I said, maybe I'm talking out of my ass, I was talking out of my ass. So back to our conversation on that, Perry. <clears throat> Pigs don't have 124 piglets a year. I don't, it's 24. I don't know why I said 124. So as they're, when they're going through, uh, sows will usually have two litters and they usually have somewhere between six and upwards of 12 pigs per litter. Now they are sexually viable by the time that they're coming back around to that second litter, that first litter becomes sexually viable. So that's why you see the populations explode the way they do. Uh, the other thing is Barry, you know how you were asking about like when they were, introduced and started to become a problem. Right. Yeah. So I I did a little research on this because I was thinking about it. And so I was kind of on point with, they were introduced as feral swine very early on back in like the the 1600s kind of timeframe. But the true like hybrids that we see today, those actually were brought in in the 1930s, which I thought was interesting. And they were brought in um, for, to be hunted. And they were put on these big ranches and hunting reserves and then they obviously, you know, they're, they're pretty resourceful. They escaped from the, the high fence and the, and the fencing operations and then bred with the feral swine. And they've created the more the hybrid hogs that you see today, that it's a combination of a domestic feral pig and then that Eurasian wild boar. And that's where you see like the more like the razorback type thing. So I just wanted to address a couple of those little points there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's good information. Make sure the the listeners out there have the have the facts straight. I know I was losing sleep over that, so glad you cleared it up. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure I'm not. Uh, we talk out of our ass a lot on this podcast. And I want to make sure that you know when we at least catch it, we uh, we acknowledge it and, and correct ourselves. Also, if any of you guys ever find us being you know grossly wrong on a topic that you guys know more than us about, feel free to write in and correct us, and we'll shout you out on the podcast and make the duly note the correction because I think that's important. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be the last time, and you're definitely right. It's one of those things where we're going to get things wrong just like like everybody does. But typically, we can at least try to be honest about that and admit, admit our mistakes, and we'll come on here. If we find something that we completely fucked up, we'll, we'll definitely make an effort to get it right. But, yeah, we can go ahead and start rolling on with the, with the, the topic of this week, and that's going to be, you know, Burden the Ships 2.0. So, Pete, what's going on, man? Uh, well, just kind of had uh, my pre-month-long trip. Uh, out, well, Luke and I are both going to uh, the desert for the month of April out in California for some training. So just finished my uh, kind of like soft peak uh, before NTC and because uh, there's only about, what, five or six weeks from when we come back from NTC before we max uh, hit that 1,500-pound goal and, uh, and run the marathon on June 6th. So. Yep, that's uh, at least that was the plan for me as well. We were both supposed to run uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 miles today. And on Tuesday, Pete and I were doing our kind of 
pre, you know, leaving, well, shooting for our pre leaving peak in, uh, in our lifting stuff. And, uh, we were doing pretty good. We were meatheading it up. Had we were in my garage gym, blasting some music and like two drunk gorillas smashing around in there, squatting. And uh, we were working our way up. We were gonna each try to hit 500 because that's kind of our goal for the 500, 400, 600 to put us at 1,500 pounds. And so we we're gonna go ahead and hit that 500. We're both feeling pretty good about hitting it. Did 455, felt pretty light. Pete hit 480, and uh, I was through 480 on. <laughs> took it off the rack feeling really good and dropped down, came up and uh, tore my quad. So this uh, burn the ships is going to be a little up in the air for me. Yeah. It sounds like you burned your, your leg muscle there on that, that video. I didn't realize you were there with him, Pete. Did it, did it uh, look as bad as it did in that video? I mean, it, it honestly, I was more worried about his knee because it, uh, it, yeah, the, the video is pretty telling. It's imagine about 500 pounds of someone's back and then it, just flying off of it and uh luke's big gorilla looking ass flying forward grabbing his knee i was like oh man it's actually i think given how it looked a torn quad is probably about the best we could have hoped for uh given given how it looked at, at first so all things considered uh, that's probably the easiest to bounce back from i was worried about a acl tear or something like that um the torn quads probably probably much better diagnosis than any of that other stuff yeah, I think it definitely is. It's going to be a lot quicker. I mean, you're still looking at two to three months potentially. It's not a complete tear, uh, which is good. I actually tore this quad in high school in the exact same spot, um, very different ways that happened in a football game. Where it's torn, it's kind of in the center of the outer portion of my right quad. And so um, hopefully it's, just, it's not too – I'm not laid up for too long. Like I got a tore it all shot today. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm not limping around near as much. I still can't like plan on a foot and like walk upstairs or anything. Like it buckles, but I can at least like kind of walk with, without much of a limp uh, with the Tordal. But the Tordal is just going to really help with the inflammation. So it's not actually doing any healing, but I can at least work it out a little more and maintain, uh, you know, that movement and, and try to keep the blood flow going in. I'm going to do some, uh, some cupping actually tonight after this podcast, I'm going to cup it. And then once we get to NTC, I was speaking with my PA, my unit PA, and I can do, uh, some dry needling before we actually go into the training. So I'll be able to get some dry needling done, which is where they insert, it's kind of like acupuncture, but they, they insert needles into the muscle, which will actually get them to release uh, where they're tight and allow, like stimulate blood flow. Cause you, you really need blood flow to get to the muscle for healing. Um, a lot of people hear about rice, the, the rest, ice, compression, elevate thing for, for injuries. And that's pretty antiquated and, and isn't really sound advice. Um, you got to keep active when you have a soft tissue issue, obviously not to the point that you're doing more damage, but keep the blood flowing uh, to the muscle. That's what I made the mistake in high school, kind of followed the rice approach and it took nine months to heal. And I'm still obviously dealing with issues from that quad because I tore it 12 years later. Well, I, I think something you admitted to me was that as you had picked up your running, um, you had not over the last like month, you had, you'd maybe not focused on your, your mobility um, and, and like taking care of yourself as much as maybe you should have. Um, not that it dropped off from what you said, but, uh, that, that you didn't, you needed, as you insert more into the, the stress cup, you've got to like focus more on, uh, taking care of yourself. And I think you, you had, had admitted to not having done that. And that's definitely a lesson I've learned over the last year is that if you've got those kind of movement deficiencies, um, I think we all got hurt at some point in high school or college or whatever. 
um, as you increase volume, whether it's in the gym or on the track or the trail or whatever, if you think, if you, if your knee acts up after a couple miles, then you, tr- you know, you double that mileage and you add weightlifting in there, then all of those like minor little issues that are really your own fault for mostly movement deficiencies, um, in my opinion, then they're just going to magnify and sometimes cause catastrophic failures. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that's, I haven't been doing my mobility. It's been, I've been, you know, pretty time crunched with just work and then trying to spend time with the pregnant wife and not managing my time, you know, super efficiently. And then, you know, what, what falls off, it's the dynamic warm ups, it's the static stretching, it's the mobility stuff, it's the yoga type shit. I've not been doing that. Usually I'm very good at like working on my soft tissue stuff, getting massages. I haven't had a massage in a while. When I was at Benny and I was getting a massage at least every other week, if not uh, sometimes once a week. So I haven't been doing any of that stuff. And I think that that was a contributing factor, especially when I know I have a, a quad that is habitually tight from the tear in high school. And then like I have knee issues on that same knee caused from that quad through years of overuse from not actually working the quad outright, identified the quad have made strides in the past to make sure I'm keeping it loose and then stop doing that and throw 480 pounds on my back and pop the quad. So it's just, it's something that I think a lot of folks overlook. I mean, I I don't know, Evan, in your training, like, I know you see it in the army too. We just don't place enough emphasis on the, the recovery and the kind of, you know, prehab is kind of a buzzword, but you know, that those prehab type movements. Yeah, man, I, I think that it's definitely overlooked uh, at large and by a lot of people, especially, you know, the younger the younger crowd. I, I know I haven't really taken the mobility stuff and stretching, warming up, cooling down, all the things that aren't necessarily as fun as just lifting. Um, I haven't taken that as serious until probably the last five years of my life. Um, and I should have done it, you know, when I was in high school playing football and, and things just like we all should have. But it's definitely something that I've seen, you know, I work with a lot of older guys who are, you know, have been doing this job for, you know, over 30 years, some that have been doing it for 40 years. And the only way, you know, talking to them, because I'm feeling, I'm feeling those little things that I ignored when I was 18 and all those little injuries that keep compounding. And like Pete was saying, man, well, you, you take that little injury and then you add that plus a strenuous job and then not taking care of it. And then working out on top of it, trying to run and maintain, and it just it turns something small into something big. But some of those older guys were saying that how they how they maintain and are able to do it is by that. And a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of the guys I know, man, like they do weight training, but it's not it's not lifting heavy at all. Like uh, two years ago, when I was deployed, a gentleman who I have a lot of respect for, um, he is an absolute animal in more ways than one, just a beast, dude. And he flat out told me, he was like, I don't put anything on the bar over 225. And he was like, I can accomplish everything I need to do with 225 on any lift that I want. And he was like, sometimes I'll go in there and do, you know, five sets of 10 at 225 on flat bench or, you know, back squat. I, I remember when, when there one day he was doing uh, sets of 15 deadlift at 225 and he was doing like eight sets of them volume. And I was, you know, kind of asking why. And he was like, because my body responds better to that. And I've learned that in my older age and through the job. So I think a lot of it is definitely the individual and how your body reacts to it. Some people are born more limber. Some people, you know, are not. Um, and that's a consideration, but it definitely, I think 
mobility training is something that gets overlooked a lot and can easily prevent a lot of injuries and heartache. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, that's something, it's a lesson that I know and have preached and, and talked to, to, to folks about. And then obviously in my own life, dropped it off. And now I'm going to pay the, uh, pay the price for that as I go to the National Training Center with a fucking torn quad. So that's going to be a ton of fun. And then trying to, I don't know, we'll, we'll have to see how it all goes. And then I'll have to reassess and see where I'm at. I, I think at the very least, I'm going to still try to train. And uh, at the very least, I'll do a half and then try to do a full later in the fall if I can't do a full in the uh, in June. But I'm going to do something in June. Like I'm not going to just not do it. So I'll figure out where I'm at. Um, I'm feeling better now. So, But, I mean, the, that's probably the tour at all talking. Once the tour all wears off, I'm sure it's going to be fucking seized again. So when you do that in June, do you think you'll be back to lifting at that point? You said two to three months recovery. Is that for like any sort of physical activity or do you think you can actually start getting back to throwing some weight around in that time frame, or does that take longer? Honestly, that's going to take longer. Um, I don't think by, by June it's, if I wasn't going to NTC for a month to where I don't have access to like actual, you know, I can't go do 30 minutes of the fucking spin bike. I can't, you know, go jump on my actual bike and go ride around. I can't, I'm going to be very limited on the rehab stuff I can do. I can, I mean, I can bring, I'm going to bring a TENS unit with me. I'm going to bring a cross ball. I'll bring some recovery stuff that like whenever we're in lulls, I can still do some stuff, but I'm still going to be pretty limited. And so with that, I, I, I mean, I'll play it by ear and kind of see where I'm at when I get back, but I'm going to be starting back very light on anything lower body, especially squat. I mean, Deadlift isn't very quad intensive. It's mostly posterior chain, and so we'll see how it feels. I mean, bench obviously, I'll be I'll be able to go for you know some decent weight on bench, um, even though I do use full body for bench. But it's not you know it's not like you're loading up your quads, even though you're engaging them during the lift. So I'll have to see how it, how I feel before I, I I'm going to be very conservative. In the past, I'm kind of been silly and a meathead, and I probably would have shot for it still. But I, I think I need to kind of listen to where I'm at and not get reckless you could uh since pete's gonna be out there with you make sure you have him bring some baby oil and he can rub you down you said you haven't been getting those massages you can double tap on that since he's gonna be with you he looks like the type of guy that help you out the big old gorilla hands yeah i mean we'd have to talk about maybe some a little bit of like monetary exchange but you know we could perhaps uh negotiate negotiate some kind of contract <laughs> i'm sure we could figure it out <laughs> yeah i, I bet uh, you could <laughs> No, I was gonna say it's a bummer. I guess you'll be having to live vicariously through through uh, Pete from here on out. So I was gonna ask you, Pete, what's how's your training been going? I'm assuming you haven't had any catastrophic leg failures. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it, it's 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 been a, a tough couple months, um, but I've not <laughs> my knee is not buckled uh, in in the last you know week or two. So uh, yeah, we're. Um, I think uh, I, I am realizing. So, what we didn't talk about the second uh, on the second podcast is, uh, or maybe we did, but this is now this this will be the, my second try at trying to do uh, a, a 1500 pound total in a four hour marathon in the same week. And if I had to make an honest assessment of it right now, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get there again. Um, and what I'm realizing is that that is because those are so polar opposite. Um, it is is much more difficult uh, to to achieve than I than I thought it would be. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep doing it. And I'm still optimistic for June, but uh, trying to 
continue to push uh, like top end levels of strength um, naturally uh, and, uh, uh, you know, reach out into uh, very high end endurance. Uh, those are such polar opposites that I'm uh, learning very much that are uh, very like the hard way, I guess I should say that that's uh, very, very difficult. Um, you can work on strength uh, in ways that are more functional um, like, uh, Evan was, was mentioning about, you know, uh, sort of your anaerobic capacity is what we call that, right. You know, with the 225 for, for double digit reps. Uh, but that, that one rep top end strength is just the, the, from an energy system perspective and, uh, functional perspective is just the complete opposite of trying to run 13, uh, 15, 20 miles. So, so what, question on that what what is y'all's like day in day out routine for for training for that marathon slash the the 1500 pounds total there like i mean how much time are you putting in the gym how many miles are you clocking a day how many you know a week month stuff like that i'm curious about the numbers so pete and i are, are very different um because like he said he basically did this same train up for the last year and then i'm starting from scratch and so the, the difference in that, I, I think, really, at least for me, is the I need to put more mile like my base mileage needed to be higher than what his base mileage needed to be because he's already built his mileage base into it, so he can run less because he's built that ad, that adaptation to be able to run. So he can do one long one a week and do some hit training, maybe some sprints. Versus, I need to continue to put twenty to thirty miles in a week. Um, which honestly, I, I started to do that at first, and then we did a two-week field problem. Obviously, I didn't run during that. Like, I've just been derailed by inconsistency with one work, and then I'm bad. Like, I've mentioned this in the past. Like, I'm like a giant fucking boulder, man. Like, it's hard to get me rolling on my training, but once I'm rolling, goddamn, like I won't stop. But then when I stop again, it's fucking hard for me to get like. I'm just, it's just, I get really thrown off. I'm a creature of habit. I need to be in a routine. And if I can't be in that routine, it really derails me sometimes. And so that's what I was running into. But back to like your question on what I was looking at. So what I was trying to do was I was lifting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I was stacking, I was doing bench is my weakest thing. And so I would bench twice. I would bench on Mondays and Fridays, and then I would do uh, deadlift on then deadlift, squat, deadlift, or vice versa, flip them, if that makes sense. So Monday and Friday, I'm doing two compound lifts. Wednesday, I'm doing one. I'm doing bench on Monday and Friday, then I'm flipping squat and deadlift on the other days. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so, and then after that, I was doing a sprint workout that was essentially something around like 30 90s or 30 60s. And then, so it's 30 seconds of sprinting, 90 or 60 seconds of rest, kind of just how I was feeling. Uh, if I was feeling pretty, you know, smoked or whatever, I would just adjust my rest accordingly. And then um, I would do that for, you know, 10 sets or 15 sets or whatever. And I just kind of alternated that. So Tuesdays I was doing like three to five miles. Then Thursday was somewhere around like six. And then if I was going to do my mileage, big mileage increase days were happening on Saturdays. And so it's kind of alternating between them with a lot more like base mileage built in to, to each day. And then I think Pete had a completely different type strategy. Uh, yeah. So 
we the approach that I've used over the last like uh, three months, um, and it, it's actually been really cool because I've got a group of uh, well, probably six or seven other guys uh, that I work with, guys and gals actually that I work with, uh, who I've now get, gotten to use as guinea pigs. Um, and watching to see, I think three of them have hit in the last quarter all-time lifetime PRs uh, while they're uh, uh, hitting mileage that they've never also like hitting lifetime. PRs on bench squat and deadlift, uh, and while still running mileage, uh, that they, that they don't normally hit. It's like really cool to see. Yeah. That's impressive. So the approach I, yeah. Uh, but the approach I, and admittedly they're all like novice lifters, right? So have a kind of general like army level of fitness, but they're all, uh, none of them are like at kind of the have, you know, they haven't been lifting consistently right so there's a certain level of like immediate gains that you can make just as sort of a disclaimer in your first uh you know 12 to 20 weeks of lifting and you know before you start to plateau and you have to hit um you you really only achieve gains based off of like hypertrophy as just opposed to like neural adaptations um but so my approach is actually relatively low mileage um on mondays i squat I do a lower body focused uh, metabolic condition Metcon for those of you and you know that are familiar with CrossFit or soft lead or stuff like that. So squat, Metcon, and abs. Tuesday is bench press and um, interval running. So any kind of uh, interval or tempo running. So anything from 200 meters to 800 meter repeats, uh, timed repeats. Just uh, call that the. Um, aerobic capacity, you know, day of the week. Wednesday is aerobic endurance. So 5k plus, uh, we'll do, sometimes we'll do two 5ks, a 10k. We did a 10 miler a couple weeks ago. It was cool to see guys that never hit double digit mileage break that. Um, Thursday is deadlifts, another metabolic conditioning circuit, um, and plyometrics. And then Friday, if we can squeeze five days in just based off training cycle and availability, we'll do uh, sort of a lightweight Olympic lifting that's more of a mobility focus because uh, you'd be surprised how many people can't actually get into an overhead squat all the way down to the bottom uh, or, or a full power clean, you know, like front squat all the way down to the bottom. So we'll do lightweight Olympic lifting, more plyometrics, um, and then any kind of uh, accessory work or another Metcon to round, round out the week um, and hit anything that we've been missing. Um, and that's the split we use. It is very similar to what I did from October to April, um, which uh, these are kind of some cool numbers, not to sort of belabor the point, but uh, I was able to cut 48 minutes off my marathon time in six months by averaging less than 10 miles a week using a structure like that. That's pretty wild, man. And it, it sounds to someone like me that's never – run a marathon, never run, you know, more than 5k or, you know, plus or minus in that range. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive. And I was actually going to ask you if at any point as you work up towards the date of that marathon, do you actually ramp up those, those long distance days, or do you keep that same cycle all the way through and then just, you know, go for it. And, you know, more than, sounds like more than double your, your mileage for your actual, you know, day of the race. No, that's a good question. And um, balancing the the taper and peak of both the top end strength and 
the endurance is difficult, but no, you're right. So there were only, f- yes, you, I, I do ramp up in, in uh, like total, like single instance mileage, but I only in that six months um, in, in between those two marathons and I only broke 10 miles in one in, like run, uh, got into double digits four times um, leading up to that. So yeah, hit like a, hit a half marathon, like eight weeks out, uh, five or six weeks out, hit a, uh, hit an 18 miler and then probably three to four weeks out, hit another half marathon. Um, and then like, yeah, ran in this, this, this train is kind of weird because we've got this like five week break in the middle of it. It's super not ideal. Um, but I've only broken, you know, double digit mileage twice this time. And then I'll probably squeeze in an 18 miler, probably three weeks out from, uh, like in the middle of May, uh, prior to June 6th. So yeah, you do peak cause there's this, there's a mental aspect, uh, that, that you kind of have to, to train yourself for that, that only that type of stuff, you just have to experience it, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's all really interesting. So I have a another question on on the same topic there. Um, so two different things. So one is guys that I worked with, and granted, full dis- disclosure here and a disclaimer: like I've never ran a marathon, and I've never tried out for the long walk, which is what I, what I'm about to talk about. But guys that I know that have and have been extremely successful said that they're in their train up for either a marathon. I had a commander that would run like four marathons a year, and he said that he never in training ran more than 12 miles because you hit a certain point where you're over training and it becomes mental when you're actually doing it and you're not getting anything out of doing, you, you know, if you train for a marathon and you're running 20 miles for a marathon, he's, he said, you're just breaking your body down uselessly and you're not getting anything out of it, which I found interesting. And then also on that guys who were training for the long walk um, said that during their train up and that were successful. And then guys over, over there um, currently uh, said that, as a recommendation for anyone that wanted to is not to train any more than an 18 mile ruck. And in all honesty, that is too much to don't do anything more than 12. And just, if you can do a 12 mile or a week, then you're conditioning your body to endure that suck. And basically you're training your mind at that point, your body's already conditioned to endure that, you know, extended amount of physical agony essentially. And it's at that point, it becomes training your mind to keep pushing through it because you're going to hit a level of suck no matter what, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, um, Lance Armstrong on the tour de France, like he's still going to hit a, a, a point where he's, he can go a lot further, but he's probably hurting a lot kind of thing. And I always found that interesting, but, but what are y'all's thoughts on that versus like how you've been training? Uh, no, dude, love that. I'm a, that's a hundred percent my mindset. And, and I, I joke to, real, real quick. Let me jump in here what? for the, if you don't, the long walk, what Evan's talking about when he says the long walk, that's selection for CAG or most like Delta force. Uh, essentially what it looks like is it's in the mountains. This is all you can Google all this shit. So it's, it's nothing you know, crazy. You go to the mountains of West Virginia and you do a series of the, of ruck march type deals with the you have a ruck on your back you're doing a massive land nav course and it's a very long endurance type event that takes a lot of time several days weeks and it's an accumulative effect and then it finishes with like a 45 mile ruck at the end and so it's it's a very endurance heavy event so that's what evan's talking about with the long walk sorry yeah no no thanks luke um 
yeah, no. So, like, I joke to, uh, you know, like, people around me, like, there's only two steps to running any distance of race, and, like, step one is to stop and to – or, sorry, step one is to start, and step two is to not stop. Like, and that – and that, what – and it's, it seems like a joke or, like, a, you know, a lighthearted way uh, of, of phrasing it, but, like, it's it's super true, and I think that's kind of what your, your connections have been talking about, Evan, uh, sort of in a roundabout way is – once you get past a certain mileage, it's more mental conditioning. You, you're you're not you're not doing a lot to condition your body. Uh, I mean, you you are, but it's at the expense it's of your your body and your hip flexors and your quads and your knees and everything. And so there's diminishing returns to mileages uh, in excess of of ten miles. Um, from a physical perspective, there is a lot of value to be gained from um, honing in your nutrition plan um, and then just kind of experiencing that if if you haven't yet. Uh, like mile 18 of 26 is a special kind of hell uh, that like you like no one can prepare you for it. You, you, you anyone can do it. Uh, I firmly believe that most people that consider themselves you know, any kind of gym rat or whatever, uh, could go out and, you know, like have the mental fortitude to, to go bang out, uh, 18, 20 miles. Cause that's really what it is, is mental fortitude. It's not like athletic ability. Um, and so there, like, you do need to get those under your belt, but if you're, if you're hitting close to 10 miles a week, like you could probably bang out uh, a marathon, definitely a half marathon if you want to. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely spot on in a lot of ways. But I, what I think for me, not being a runner, right? So, like, I, I think it'd be the same if you was somebody, like, who's not a lifter. What you're doing by hitting some of those longer distances is you're building some confidence, right? And so you're building, like, the, those checkpoints in your head that it's like, I need, like, I don't know. I'm a fucking head case when I run. Everything's checkpoints to me. Everything's, I dissect everything down. If I'm doing a 10-mile run, I break it down into, like, you know, it's two, it's quarter, it's quarter of that. So two and a half miles. And it's like, I, I can always run two and a half miles. And then I, okay, I can do two and a half more miles. It's like, right, well, now I'm halfway there. It's all downhill. So I'm going to do two and a half, you know, I just play these little games. And so, you know, and, and I've never done a marathon. The furthest I've run is 10 miles, but what I was doing, but I was doing like 30 miles a week. And what I was doing was I was building confidence that I can, I can hit this mileage and I can hit it at certain speeds. And I was focused more on speed at the time than I was distance, but by doing that, that's that's what it built in for me. And so it is that mental game of, of playing it. But I also do think I hear what you're, what we're saying about diminishing returns. And I think that's true. But I also think there's a little bit of a caveat there in that the human body is so fucking adaptable. And so. Like, look at like Cam Haynes running a marathon a day, like or the shit that Goggins does, like these guys that they do these these ultra marathon runners that will run 240 miles they're putting that mileage in, but they're doing it very consistently. And so the human body is so adaptable. If you do the same thing habitually to where it, it's no longer like a workout, it's just like what the, you, you have a, a, a physiological and neural, neurological response to your body that will, will adapt to that, to where it becomes the baseline. You're not having the same sort of physiological stress that you would have if I was to do that. You know, I, I might not be wording that the right way, but does that make any sort of sense? I think it does make sense. And I think there is 
a valid point there because as as you guys were talking, I was thinking actually about like Goggins because I was actually watching one of his videos earlier today. And I mean, he's an inspiring dude and he, you know, he racks up the miles. Same with Cam Haynes. You know, that, that guy's an absolute animal with the amount he runs. But I think, and you know, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a long distance runner. Um, never have been, but it seems to me like from, from kind of the outside looking in, I think you're absolutely right. The human body is extraordinarily capable of adapting to those, those, you know, extreme physiological demands and doing it on a regular basis. But damn, you better do it on a regular basis because if you don't, then I feel like there's a big difference between being able to go knock out 10 miles consistently and go knock out, you know, a marathon consistently. And if you stop, you you know, I feel like that would be easy to lose. Those guys never stop. And um, I think that's probably, you know, I don't know, but I would guess that if you ask them, that might be one of the things they would attribute that, you know, that success to is they are absolute animals they're consistent and they just you know that's that's what they do yeah i think there's a lot of merit to what you're saying perry and it's you you were when you were talking it was funny that you brought up uh david coggins luke because i was actually thinking about it because um i was listening to jre when uh it was they didn't have him on there but they had someone else on there and talking about him and he actually just had like knee replacement surgery not too long ago or something some surgery with his knee and he straight up said it was because of how much he runs, but then he's still out there doing it after surgery, like literally drained fluid out of his knee and then went for like a 15 mile run or something like that. Um, but so I'm wondering like, where's the balance? You know what I mean? Cause he's, he's still doing it and he's a hard dude. I'm not trying to take anything away from it at all. And I do think the body's adaptable for sure. But then he's even saying, you know, because he pushes himself so hard, like his knees are absolute shit. Like there's just, there's basically no cartilage left in either one of his knees. And he says it's all because of running. And then I know, you know, I know a few marathoners who have the same thing or they have severe ankle issues. Everyone has injuries. And I think we all have stuff that like our lifestyle, you know, we, we all have injuries and whatnot, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, like from the, from the training perspective, do you hit a point and you're built different than me, Luke, you know, like I have to train a lot harder in the weight room to maintain numbers as opposed to you have to train a lot harder running to maintain numbers. Um, but so like, where's that, where's that line of where you're degrading yourself and you're breaking yourself down you get, do get those diminishing returns or that you are hitting that where that point where your body is hitting that adaptability, you know, level and kind of riding that line and maintaining, if that makes sense. You're still muted, bud. Oh, thanks. Sorry. But I clicked on it. So what I was saying is, is with Goggins, uh, he's a hard motherfucker and like, mad respect for his level of determination and what he does. But I mean, I don't think anybody can accuse him of training smart or intelligently. Um, I mean, his first race, he literally almost killed himself. Uh, he was, he's even admitted that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, dude, like the dude's got like, there's, there's some sort of something going on like mentally with, I mean, he went through some extreme trauma as a child and I think it's manifested itself in such a way that he is very obsessive with some stuff. I mean, look at I me mean, he's on his like fourth marriage. Like, you know, no, no judgment from this, but like, I don't, I don't, I think we put guys like that on a pedestal a little bit. And I think that we should look at that kind of objectively and be like, okay, like I can respect his level of dedication, but I think that this is not the most healthy way to do anything in life that obsessive. Um, Cause I think, like you said, it, it becomes a detriment. Um, like when his psoas was so tight because he never stretched, all he did was run ultra marathons with zero stretching recovery. So like, I think that's kind of the balance, right? Is that you've got to, you got to build in 
the the recovery. You got to do some massages. You got to take care of yourself, your diet, nutrition. I mean, it, it all comes back in. You got to feed the beast the right way. Like, are you getting enough protein? Like, none of us are getting enough. If you're not tracking your protein, you're not getting enough protein. Like, I promise you that. As somebody who does both ways and I consume a fuckload of meat. And if I'm not actively making sure I get 210 grams of protein a day, I don't get it. And so we're not, we're not getting that level of uh, nutrition a lot. We're not taking the time for recovery. And so I think that's where you get a lot of your diminishing returns. But I mean, I don't know the answer for the, the training balance thing. I know for me, my threshold for running is significantly less than others, but I can, you know, with, with weightlifting I, I, in, in strength training, I've built in such repetition that's so much that I didn't really lift heavy for a year. And then within less than a month, I was able to pull 545, which a lot of people, they, they could, I mean, I, that's not trying to brag. It's just like the, the reality of the situation is like, that's where I'm at. But then, you know, I can train, be running 10 miles at a nine minute pace and then don't run for a month. And then I can't even fucking run three miles. Like it's, you know, it's just I lose it so much quicker because I haven't built that baseline in from a young age. I think that's part of the thing, too, is like, you know, I, you know, I have a kid on the way. I'm going to have my kid training early and not crazy. I'm not going to have like young Hercules or anything, but like have my kid like getting into some a very well-balanced routine at an early age to build in that physical adaptation while they're in their formative years. I think that's really important. And I think you see that difference. And I know I saw it when I was in like the basic training world with guys coming in, their bone density shit, they're having hip issues, they're breaking, cracking hips. They can't fucking do any of the the load that, or they can't carry the load that they need to carry because they've never had that physical exertion. You, you can look at the kids in, that come into the army and you know immediately which ones played sports and which ones didn't. Like it's very apparent. Yeah, and that's, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, man. It's it's interesting you say that too because it's, yeah, it makes me, it, it makes me feel like shit because you said you, you know, you weren't training at all. And then you pulled 545 and that's 45 pounds heavier than my PR. And that PR was me busting my ass for a year, stuffing my face with as many calories as I could and working out as hard as I could, as long as I could. And I still, yeah, got- but I can watch you eat and gain weight. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So there's just like that inherent difference in body types that is a massive factor in it as well. But you know, like I haven't ran I, honestly, like since I've been back from this last deployment, um, because I've been trying to maintain my body weight, I've been like slacking on my cardio because I'm trying not to lose as much body weight. But when I guarantee I could still go for a two mile run right now and be close to where I was, you know, after taking several months off, if that makes sense, it's just, it's definitely different. Well, so let me, I'm going to use an analogy that I borrowed from <clears throat> Pavel Satsulin, who is the guy that brought the kettlebell to America. Um, used to be uh, basically like a program designer and sports uh, coach or training coach for Spetsnaz before the Soviet Union fell. So, like, he's he's a pretty hard dude um, and and uh, and is very, very practiced in, in strength training. So what he, he – the analogy he uses, you have, like, a neurological cup. You can expand it, which is what I think um, we were talking about, like – guys like David Goggins and Cam Haynes have expanded their neurological cup and you can do that through training, but uh, it's only going to hold so much and you can choose. Do you want to pack strength training in there? Do you want to pack endurance training in there? Do you want to pack social activities, all this other stuff? Um, But it's only going to hold so much until you expand it. So yeah, you can kind of lever different things within that, 
but you've got to be conscious that as you're training, uh, you're only going to be able to do so much until over time it grows to the level of, if you want to be there, Cam Mains, Dave Goggins, to use those as examples. Um, but anyway, I just I just have found that to be a really useful analogy from a pretty knowledgeable guy. That's a, that's a good little stopping point there as we uh, take a little break. And we're going to plug Hunt Lift Eats' favorite mortgage loan officer. Evan, why don't you uh, tell us your experience with Casey Burns? Yeah, so obviously I met Casey through you, uh, um, and now I just recently financed my second property with him. Um, so I do real estate investing on the side, for those of you that don't know that. And I have only used Casey. Granted, I'm pretty new to the real estate world, but um, I have only used him and plan to only use him. I actually, uh, this last house, uh, looked at other lenders and um, decided that I didn't want to. They weren't as personable. The rates weren't... Uh, what I was looking for that they didn't, they didn't work as hard as Casey did. And I have absolutely zero intention of, of using anyone other than Casey. It has nothing to do with no, no disrespect. Casey, if you're listening, it has nothing to do with because he's a friend at the end of the day, it's about business when it comes to that stuff. Um, and I respect his, uh, his work ethic and his, his business model there. And so from, from that perspective, I don't, I don't see any other, any other options. I highly recommend him. Yeah, Casey's great. Um, I'm actually, you know, total transparency. I'm going through a refinance uh, for one of my investment properties with a separate company right now, just because Prime Lending doesn't specialize in investment loans. They specialize in owner-occupant loans. And so I was actually able to get a better rate. And in Casey was super transparent. I sent him the stuff and he was like, hey, dude, go with these other guys. We're not going to be able to compete with this. And which I respected the hell out of. But I'll tell you what, this has been one of the worst experiences of my fucking life trying to finance or refi with these people. It's been three months now uh, since we locked in terms and had everything good to go. We're just waiting to close for a bunch of like just nonsense. And so like looking after buying my house here in Colorado with Casey, I mean, God dang, it's a night and day difference. He makes, I did almost no work. Uh, he, he just sends you the documents. He, you read through them, you sign them and, and he sends it back. And it's, it's simple with these folks, it's just back and forth constantly. And yeah, sure. I'm going to get a little bit of a better investment rate, but honestly, in hindsight, I almost would rather have taken a, an extra couple little points there. Cause this has been, it's been crazy in, in case he makes things so easy. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. When I went through the process with him for my refi, I was blown away at how little effort it was for me. What the, you know, the amount of work I actually had to put into it. I was expecting it to be this long, drawn out, paying the ass process like it was um, when I first got the mortgage in the first place. And next thing I know, Casey's like shooting me a text going, yeah, dude, we're all squared away. Appreciate it. I was like, damn, that was easy. And I remember you called me the other day talking about this other company that you're that you're dealing with now and how it was a completely night and day experience versus what um, – you know, what it was with prime lending and going through Casey. So yeah, I can't recommend him high enough. Um, again, we've, we've all used him. We're all continuing to do so. I, you know, we've all sent uh, countless recommendations his way. So definitely if you're in the market looking for a uh, financing option, definitely go check out Casey at prime lending. Uh, he's based out of Charlotte, but he can practice Charlotte, North Carolina, but he can practice in all 50 States. His phone number is 919-710-1864. You can contact him by email at casey.burns at primelending.com. 
And you can also go check out his website and look at all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. KC specializes in owner-occupant loans, VA, FHA, any conventional loans, USDA. Hit him up. He'll take care of you. We love KC. Honestly, I think he's one of the best in the business. We really appreciate you guys putting up uh, with the advertisements. Obviously, we love Casey, and he's our boy, and he, he, he'll he take care of you. Uh, but he's also taking care of us and, and with the podcast. And we're going to continue to grow and obviously and uh, honestly start being able to hopefully improve the podcast a little bit, bringing in more guests, having people fly in and that sort of thing as we continue to, to monetize this a little bit. But let's pick up where we left off. Uh, Pete, you were just talking about um, kind of that – How'd you word it? The neurological cup. The neurological cup. Yeah, no, but I think bad. I know neurological is like four syllables. It's so a I big know. word for this dumb hillbilly from southwestern Virginia. Yeah, don't Evan couldn't spell that shit. That's for sure. I think you had something to say though, Evan. Yeah, I was just going to ask Pete again what the guy's name was, or if you could add it in the show notes, Luke, because I know I'm curious for that, and I'm always looking for new stuff to read up on when I'm flying and traveling. Yeah, his name is Pavel P A V E L Satsulin T S. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's Russian. Uh, <laughs> Kettlebell and Pavel will probably get you there. <laughs> I guess Luke had to put in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's he's a monster. He's a monster. That's interesting stuff. So, uh, Perry, you got that pull-up bar, huh? Yeah. Yeah, finally got finally got the pull-up bar installed in the backyard. Got my uh, my first set of kettlebells in. So, it's interesting that you, you brought up the dude that brought uh, kettlebells to the U.S. therapy. I'm going to have to go check him out as well. I'm definitely an absolute novice to kettlebell workouts, which is, you know, fine. But um, so far, first week of having them, I've really enjoyed it. It's nice. I've only got three of the first four I ordered. Um, I don't have the biggest one yet, but to be honest, it might be a little while before I work up to that biggest one. Um, But just the little bit that I've done, it's cool because you can work all, you know, extremely different muscle groups, um, doing some different, um, kind of conflicting workouts. I, I did some alternating reps between some kettlebell stuff and some stuff on the pull-up bar after a run the other day. Um, and one thing I wanted to pick your guys' brain about a little bit, you you know, we've mentioned, we talked a lot about the different trainings that you guys are doing. And Luke, we, you know, kind of started this out by talking about your injury. Um, and we've emphasized, you know, recovery and, um, training, you know, warm ups, um, cool downs, those types of things. I would like, and I'm sure there's some people out there listening, would like to hear what your thoughts are on some specific things pertaining to um, some of that stuff because I actually had my own little minor setback, nothing like, you know, what you did, but I guarantee it was from a lack of, you know, lack of stretching, a lack of warm up, um, you know, just not doing those kind of things as I'm starting to get back into this. So curious to pick your brain a little bit on that. Yeah. So I'm going to jump in here on that, uh, Perry. I know we kind of talked on the phone a little bit, but I think there's a lot of weight to be said in, in what we were talking about during that conversation about how, when you take a long break or in your case, you never really hit that, you know, you you've done some workouts here and there, but you've never been on a, like a regimented workout routine or anything like that. Um, and then starting into it and I'm not sure if you were stretching or not, it doesn't sound like you really were, but I think it's good to, especially, I mean, let's be honest, we're all over, you know, 30 or older now, so we're not getting any younger either. Um, and so your body has adapted to that. I don't want to say sedentary lifestyle, you know, Perry, I, I, I know you enough to know, I don't think I've ever seen you really do any 
stretching, but I know you're an active guy. So your body has probably adapted into this. Go ahead, Luke. I see you leaning into the mic. Does a lion stretch before it takes down a fucking gazelle? Dude, I just had the zombie land fucking movie <laughs> rolling through my head. And every time I think about stretching, that's what goes through my head, man. It's like, limber I up. I don't need to fucking stretch. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I do, actually. I was going to say, according to your foot and Luke's quad and all my elements and everything else, it sounds like we do. Maybe Who's that Browns, that Browns coach, the big fat guy who's like, did the fucking soldiers stretch before they stormed the beaches of goddamn Normandy? No, they did push-ups and sit-ups and they ran. That's it. <laughs> did they ever stretch when they stormed the beaches? <laughs> no, they puked a lot, though. But, uh, nah, man, I, th- I think that you're, you're a prime example, Perry, of someone who needs to work on that mobility, who needs to work on that, um, just that. I mean, that, that range of motion, and because you, you really don't have that base, you don't have that, um, you to go back to what Luke's saying, what your body has adapted to is an active lifestyle, but it's not a trained active lifestyle. Um, and so I think you would benefit a lot, especially as you're starting to get into kettlebell workouts and doing your pull-up bar to really start incorporating some mobility stuff, stretching. And it doesn't have to be a lot, man, but I do think I, my recommendation would be some. And then, you know, start, I, I would recommend start doing a lot of volume things. Don't start doing a lot of heavy, like don't don't pick up that, heaviest kettlebell and start slinging it around pick up that light one and do 50 reps instead of five reps with the heavy one would be my recommendation so what are some of the specific um stretching and and sort of soft tissue uh you know warm-ups that you guys do or that you guys would recommend to someone you know someone in my position someone that doesn't necessarily um have a, a strong base or even you know even someone like you luke that has you know got some experience with this, but then maybe, you know, has a, has a setback as recovering from an injury or, or, you know, trying to work up to a goal Pete um, of, of the, you know, this marathon, this, this, uh, this personal record for, for um, the combined weight, you know, what, what are some of the specific things that people can do? Um, so first off, uh, and it, it took me, I probably didn't realize this till about three years ago, but unless there will, I'm a firm believer in, unless there was uh, trauma involved, meaning like in high school, I took a helmet to the shin and fractured my tibia and tore my MCL. That is trauma. Um, but in the last year, I had hip flexor tendonitis. That's not trauma. That's overuse, right? So I'm a firm believer that unless there's trauma involved, car wreck, like you actually tripped on something, you know, and tore something, you caused it and you can fix it. So step one in that is like actually admitting to yourself that like you own the problem. For liability purposes, we're not physicians. So consult your physician before taking any advice from this podcast. Yeah. What, what he said, uh, let's just double down on that. But, (laughs) and and, yeah, even if there's a whole bunch of factors that play into that, like the, the sooner you can just kind of own that. Cause I think what society tells us is like, uh, you're broken you know, a doctor can fix it. Well, what that doctor might tell you, and I'm not one of them, but they're probably going to tell you things that you need to do to fix it. Different stretches and physical therapy, right? Um, But, sorry, tangent. Um, If you can own that, then I think some things you can focus on is, and I'm borrowing from from people that are much more educated than I am, but look um, downstream and upstream of the problem, okay? So, if your left hip flexor 
is hurting when your right hip flexor isn't, then look at issue. So take the left hip flexor problem as you, you know, you're starting to hit mileage that you haven't before. Uh, look at your right knee and its mobility compared to your left knee. Cause I'm willing to bet if your left hip flexor has a problem, then your right knee probably has a problem, which probably actually stems back to ankle mobility on your left side, right? Because of the way, yeah, it's a diagonal kind of effect here. And I've, I've lived through like several instances of this where, uh, in fact, in the last year, this is like literally a sp- example specific to me was had left hip flexor tendonitis and it came down to uh, high ankle tension downstream from that left knee or left hip that was causing problems in my right knee and my left hip. And it all stemmed from my ankle. You know what I'm saying? On the kind of a similar note, just on the subject of my quad, I mentioned I tore it in, in high school. <clears throat> so back then rice was like the big thing, right? So the, the, the rest ice, uh, compression and elevation. So like basically just like, Oh, when you get an injury, like don't work it. And so what ha- ended up happening was that quad. Oh, that's what they told me the other day. Yeah, they're fucking wrong. <laughs> the, the, you can Google this. The guy that actually developed the the acronym RICE has denounced it and said it's actually bad advice. So just go 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 look that up. Um, and so my fucking leg, my quad healed super tight and very knotted, right? But I was young, like whatever. Started working through it. Went to college. <clears throat> lost a ton of weight coming from you know playing undersized inside linebacker. Dropped a ton of weight, was running a lot, doing the whole like army thing at the core cadets at tech. And so like a lot of ruck running and a lot of this shit that you're doing when you're younger that you don't really feel. Well, what was happening was the the tightness in that quad was then fucking up my my knee. Um so I have patellar tendinosis. Uh I had basically when I came out of the infantry officers course, I had a really fucked up knee. And when we looked at it, it was patella after my MRI, it was patellar tendinosis. I had uh a bunch of micro fractures in my ACL. I had a bunch of different issues with the, the, the knee, but everybody was focused on the knee. When I got to Fort Campbell and I actually went to a, a doctor of physical therapy, when I left Fort Benning and the bullshit healthcare they have down there, she started attacking my quad. And when she attacked the quad, dry needling, cupping, uh, the, the uh, was it Gaston, Graston, scraping, whatever the scraping technique is, breaking up all the knots and the, the, the scar tissue that I had within my quad to actually crack my femur too. And then I played on it, which was fucking stupid in hindsight because you know, you're know you young and dumb. And so I just did a lot of damage to that legs. I played with a cracked femur and a torn quad, which I, after tearing my quad now, I have no idea how I fucking did because I can barely walk right now. When that happened, that's it, caused all the issues. And when I look at, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, every issue I have lower body is on my right side. I've literally never had an injury on my left side. It, like I've had ankle issues, foot issues, everything stems from my right side. And I think it all probably can be traced back to that quad tear in high school and the cracked femur in high school and the combination thereof. Cause I have like calcification within the quad from where the femur like leaked. That's super interesting. Uh, it makes me start to diagnose in, in my head about like all the injuries I have and what's the, what's the root cause of it. So going backwards a little, Pete, how did they figure out it was your ankle that was the cause of that? Uh, well, so I, I, it was actually, it was, I figured it out and it was just through a lot of, um, cause I don't have much 
the, well, I don't want to bash Army Healthcare, but it has its downsides. So I guess the, the overarching like recommendation would be to just have a regimented and regular mobility practice, whether that is a, notice I didn't say stretching or yoga or foam rolling or a cross ball smashing or like whatever it is, like it all falls under the umbrella of mobility and paying attention because you aren't going to be able to diagnose those things unless you have that. And so I started to notice that on like regular, like ankle stretches and stuff um, and uh, like trying to do different lacrosse ball techniques, uh, you know, one ankle was tighter than the other. And then I started to notice that like, as I was running, if I had, you know, one of those little, honestly, when I started this, I'd be like, Oh, I'm never going to have one of those utility belts that like people have, but then you're like, Oh, well, I need to carry water and stuff. I I would notice that it would start to shift to one side. I'm like, okay, that's gotta be because my hips are not landing correctly. Um, and I, it, it was all just sort of this, like, it stemmed out of me just paying closer attention to different imbalances in my body, but I wouldn't have been able to do that unless I had a regular mobility practice. I guess it's sort of the overarching answer, whether it's your shoulders, your knees, your hips, your spine, whatever it is. That really makes me want to break down a lot of my ailments and injuries and start looking at them and finding the root cause, man. Cause I, dude, I've been, I just started physical therapy and I'm like in the last few years, just started taking some of these, you know, bodily injuries serious and trying to get in front of them. So I'm not in a wheelchair by the time I'm 50, but yeah, that's some, that's some good advice, man. I'm, I'm motivating me, Pete, as you did on the last one, you know, motivating me, dude. I appreciate you saying that, bud. Yeah. Pete's spot on. I mean, Perry, we were talking the other day about your foot and uh, I was just kind of giving you the anecdote on my foot. When I started having the issues that I, cause you told me you thought you might have a stress fracture. I was like, yeah, dude, I kind of went through the same thing when I was getting back into running I was getting back into running and I was pretty fucking heavy because I've been training for uh, powerlifting competitions. And I was like, fuck, like, I think I, you know, cracked something in my foot. Well, it turns out as I started working out my calf on that foot, both calves really, but especially that one. And I was really focusing, like my massage therapist was like, you're like, she, she was like, I'm legit concerned you're going to snap an Achilles. Like that's what she told me. Cause like my shit was so tight. And, uh, and so I started really working on my calf mobility, doing like the wall stretch. So if you put your foot, like start with like your toe to the wall and then just like roll your knee, touch the wall and then back your foot up, roll your knee, touch the wall and then just keep back until you can't. And then focus on trying to extend that range of motion to where your foot is kind of perpendicular to, you know, your baseboard. And then you're trying to touch your knee to the wall and then you're working on getting that release in that especially that lower calf, your Achilles area. And I started to work that. I noticed that my, like I would roll my feet out and I would get some temporary release relief, but I would continue to have the pain. But when I would stretch that calf and get the release, my foot pain would completely subside. And so it's all really interconnected. And you could have, when I was doing the dry needling, I would notice I would, they would hit a trigger point with the needle, which would cause a release, let's say in like my trap. And I would feel a release in my glute, which I thought was wild. Or even I remember they hit one trigger point in my trap. I felt it all the way down to my, like, it felt like my entire body released. Like that, that one point can hold so much tension and pressure when it releases, your whole body opens up a little bit. And so that's where like the, the trigger point massages, deep tissue massages, dry needling, cupping, getting that like blood flow to those areas that are super tight, I think are really beneficial. If I could take it back to something that's maybe a little more, uh, 
it's, it is more accessible to everyone because uh, different people have different levels of health care availability and everything. Um, if just a foam roller costs 20 bucks and a lacrosse ball costs $3. And with those two things and YouTube, you can do some awesome things to yourself. Um, you know what I'm saying? So uh, you don't need to go out and get any kind of crazy band, like bands help. Uh, different like muscle floss helps, wands help, little sticky whatever's help. But like those two things will cover, uh, I mean, you so many different problems that you can have. And guys, we live in the information age. If I, I'll plug a book right now that really helped me, Becoming a Supple Leopard by Kelly Sturette, um, founder of uh, Mobility Wide and CrossFit Mobility, uh, whatever. He's not paying me so I can mess up his, his URL. But uh, that that really helped me because it's like this playbook of, you know, he's got, you know, 100 pages of a playbook that is here is my problem. Here are the things that you can do to fix it uh, at like in your living room while you're watching. You know, or listen to this podcast, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, uh, you know, rolling out your feet, rolling out your ankles. Uh, and just like looking up stuff to do with those two uh, instruments in particular, I think will cover most of your bases for under $25. I was going to say, I think that's phenomenal information because, you know, in, in PT, in my physical therapy that I've gone to now for a whopping two, two visits here, um, the majority of the stuff we use is a foam roller and a lacrosse ball with the occasional towel, like a simple white hotel towel. And usually it's in conjunction with a lacrosse ball or the foam roller. So, I mean, I think that's f- phenomenal uh, information. And, and YouTube is great. Like when I'm overseas and I hit something or something hurts, I, I get on YouTube and I start like on my phone in the gym stretching based off some yoga video that I'm watching on YouTube and everyone's looking at me. But it works, man. Like I couldn't agree more. Like there's so many answers out there for for all these little things. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have – elements from pick something out there. But I, I think that's some really good information, man, that you don't have to, you don't have to spend a crap ton of money to get fixed. You can do a lot of it at home with just a little bit of, uh, self-education and $25 worth of equipment. Yeah, I agree. It's so the other day after we talked, Luke, um, I went out and got a, a lacrosse ball and actually this, basically this entire podcast I've been, been, uh, kind of alternating on and off with both feet. Um, and it's just in the past couple of days, cause I only got it like three days ago. I think um, there's been a, there's been a fairly significant improvement in the way my foot feels from the way it did this past Sunday when I actually injured it. And, you know, you're right. It, it wasn't, it ended up not being a stress fracture. It was just, um, you know, tendonitis there on the bottom of the foot. And it was something that honestly, when it happened, I'd barely even, thought about it um it's not like i was running high mileage um i haven't been i haven't been burning up the roads too much but um you know getting back into it and it was something that you know got worse and i've i've never been a person that really um put an emphasis or made stretching a priority it's just not been something i've done and after a relatively you know limited entry back or into trying to actually start some sort of um, consistent regimented program 
with a, you know, as minor of an injury as it is, it's making me realize that at the old age of 32 here, I better start maybe reevaluating the way I, the way I, you know, look at things. Now, can I ask, uh, Perry, is it just in one foot or is it in both feet to experience that? No, it's just the one foot. It's just my right foot. Um, like I said, when it happened, when I was running, I was probably about three quarters of the way um, through my run that day, which wasn't, you know, that much of a run. I'd run the day before. Um, and, you know, it's just like, eh, my foot's just acting up a little bit. Finished it out, got back, um, threw on the weight vest, did some body weight stuff with the weight vest, um, and, you know, finished out the rest of what I was doing that morning and got worse throughout the day. And, yeah, that was kind of, I was like, huh, this might actually be something I have to contend with, but yeah, it was just the one foot. Interesting. Um, I, I, again, to, to double down on Luke's disclaimer, not a doctor, uh, or physical therapist, but, uh, from also someone that's had, you know, similar foot issues. I, I think that that probably might stem back up to either, uh, the opposite knee or, or that same hip. Uh, and I'd be willing to bet that if you did uh, like a yoga routine or, or something like that, uh, that it might expose some, that one of those, one side of each of those joints plays differently than the other one does. Yep. Do that. What I was talking about with the calf stretch, test that out with, uh, you can look at each leg and foot and use that as a measuring stick. So how far can you get one foot away and be able to touch your knee to the wall? And then how far can you get the other one and touch the knee to the wall? And you'll be able to identify the difference in mobility with those ankles and calves. And then you can look and see if, if there's deficiency there, like there's an imbalance, then you can, that, that might be the root cause. Just something to think about. It is interesting because, you know, you, Pete, you were talking about trauma earlier and it's been a long time. It was back when I was in college, but I broke my ankle. That's exactly what it is. I'm not a doctor, but. Yeah, there was a significant, you, you just mentioned imbalance, Luke. There was a significant imbalance because I was on crutches for, I think it was like, what, six weeks or something like that. And dude, my my right ankle completely atrophied and my left ankle got freaking tighter than a, than a you know, oak knot. I mean, it was just ridiculous because, um. You know, I was I was basically crutching around the hills of of southwestern Virginia there in Blacksburg, and just hopping on one leg for six weeks. And man, I had a ridiculous imbalance in my calves. And granted, this was a long time ago, man. I mean, it's it's been a hot minute since I was in college, but um, that is interesting. I hadn't really considered that. Twelve years ago, I tore this quad. And I just retore it. So like, I don't. I'll tell you, I don't think the time matters. Well, yeah. I, I think this I think this matters because it, yeah and going back to like I told the story about me taking a helmet to the shin or whatever like that was my left knee caused my right knee to like be tight and the left ankle to be tight and I'll, 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 it, it seems like there's this common trend here and what I how I think that applies to like anyone that might be uh, listening is as you get back into something that might be uh, new to you, whether that is that is running or or any kind of training, or just like uh, going on a more mobile hunt where you're doing more mileage with weight uh, than you ever have before. Like that stuff's going to pop up. It's not like it might pop up or I hope it doesn't. Whatever, like it will. It, it, and if it doesn't the first time, then like 
double down and do it two weekends in a row and it will. So it's better to know how to like how to react to that and like have a plan for to how to diagnose it and fix it maybe uh, before it becomes like a real, real problem and an actual stress fracture. Um, than it is to, to just to pretend at the age of 35 that it's just not going to be a problem because like it will be. So, hey, 32 well, asshole. <laughs> well, sorry, 35, you know, yeah, well, yeah. Those, that was the general you. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Well, in what on the subject of like, you know, what we're talking about and, and then trauma, I'm not a fucking doctor. I'm not an expert in anything. But the way I like I kind of look at it is anytime you're working out, right, you're introducing trauma. It's just a certain amount of trauma. It's it's kind of on the micro level, like let's say lifting weights. You're 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 tearing that muscle in micro tears. And so there's a there's a physiological response to trauma. And usually it's constriction at the muscular level, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not, it's not the, the, the core is talking here. So we won't have to correct this later. Hopefully you're talking about stress versus trauma. So stress, but workout and stress is different than trauma, which is like, but it's, it's, it's micro trauma. Okay. Because it is like, so it's, it's the same word. I mean, but yeah, so, uh, any sort of sh- stress, right? Your, your body's going to adapt to that stressor Physi- on a physiological level. But that stressor is trauma. It's just on a micro level. However, if you do a very, very intense workout, right? Very intense and you haven't done anything. So let's say, Perry, if you were going to go to the CrossFit gym tomorrow, right? And you're going to go do uh, Fight Gone Bad, which is a very intense CrossFit wad that was made for fucking a UFC fighter to simulate a championship fight. It fucking sucks. So if you were to go do that, you could probably get through it. Tomorrow, you'd be tight as fuck because your body just went through a traumatic event, essentially a simulated fight, okay? So that is trauma. With that trauma, you're going to have that tightness and that constriction. What I think, what I've had to look at with when I started getting the massages and everything is the when what I started to notice was the more I would the harder I would train, the tighter I would get. But then the more I would focus on the mobility, focus on the massages and all that kind of stuff. You know, the the the, the kind of the soft tissue training to to make sure I was opening back up was the more I did it, the easier it was to open back up. So I started out. I needed to have a massage every week. Then I could do a massage every other week or once a month because I would release quicker. And those muscles, you kind of train the muscles to then open back up. And eventually, when you start to then be able to move yourself into those said positions that you're trying to, as you start to open your body up in ways that you maybe not be able to, you can start to own those positions to where you don't have to constantly fight it. Like as somebody who has really shitty mobility, like I can't do a front rack anymore. But when I used to, when I trained to be able to do a front rack, I could slide into it all the time because I could own that position, but then I didn't train it for a long time and now I've lost it. And so you've got to work it back in. And so it's just, there's, I think there's a progression to this that right now you just need to focus on maintaining a level of mobility to avoid some injury. I say this is the guy that just tore his quad from not doing any mobility <laughs> training. I'm, I'm a lot better at telling other people what to do than doing shit myself. So focus on like having that level of mobility, but then look at what you're trying to train, whatever that goal is, and the, the positions you need to do and then maintain those to the point that you can own those positions. It's kind of the way I've heard it described in the past. Well, you must be a big money poser to be able to afford the, all those massages that Luke. I, I do. All right. 
I was just thinking, I can't wait till my wife listens to this episode. And I say, see, honey, you, you got to rub my shoulders. You got to rub my back. It's, you know, it's, it's part of the, <laughs> it's part of the recommendation. It's part of the training program here. So. Well, so with, with that was it, that was actually a big hurdle for me to get over. One, I found a very affordable massage therapist back at, uh, she, she worked for herself. She was, she would like come to the house, Caroline and her were friends. So it was, it was one, it was pretty affordable, but two is I did make a conscious decision to start investing more into my body. The way I started to think about it, Perry, it was like, okay. And I'm not equating myself to a fucking NFL player. Okay. Like, yeah, I don't think any of us yeah. had any questions yeah, about that. But, but yeah. Like James Harrison there for the, the linebacker for the Steelers. But you, you look that at the dude, amount of money that yeah. he put – and granted, he is making a lot of money. But he did invest a lot back into his body, and he's able to play a very physically taxing position at a very high level. At a very old age. And everybody talks about, like, Tom Brady, like, cool. Like, Tom Brady never gets touched. He just, like, flops over. Like, he doesn't actually, like, play football. He just throws the ball. Yeah, James Harrison. James Harrison destroyed people. Exactly. Like, as a grown-ass man in his fucking 40s playing defensive end, like – that is far more impressive to me on a physiological level. Brady's the GOAT. Like, we're not going to argue that. But James Harrison, and it's because he, from a very young age, invested a lot of money back into his body. And so you always hear in the Army, it's like, oh, you're a soldier athlete or all this bullshit. And that's not really true. But if we do start to, to treat ourselves more like what the NFL does, because the NFL is probably the pinnacle of, like, the free market performance all put into one. Because, like, their bodies are their meal ticket. And so they have to take care of themselves. And so when you look at the high-end guys that are able to do it with long longevity, like what are they doing? And if we start looking at their techniques and then mimicking them on a lesser scale, like I, I can't afford what they do, but, you know, doing some of the massages, doing the uh, dry needling, the cupping. I bought cups myself. Like you can YouTube how to use cups and cups are cheap. I think I paid $30 for my set of cups. I do them to myself and my wife because I got tired of paying the massage therapist an extra 30 bucks. And I think I spent $35 on the set. Yeah. So like, it's not that much money and you can learn these techniques. I bought a Graston scraping blade. And so on my quad, which I should have done and I haven't been, but you know, you, you just take the, it's like a very thick, dull knife. You just scrape the muscle in the way the muscle fibers go. And it helps like tear up some scar tissue or something. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but like there's things you can do at the house. Like what Pete was talking about and learn how to do some of these things. And like what he said, some of the best things that I do are on a foam roller and a uh, lacrosse ball. I love a lacrosse ball. You can buy a set of lacrosse balls, like the one that are like the double lacrosse balls. There's nothing better for putting on either side of your spine and just like rolling up and down the wall to like loosen all that up. What was the term you used, Pete? Mobility? Mo- mobility practice. Yes. And, and on the look, lacrosse ball thing and to kind of connect that back. So like obviously – like a professionally trained massage therapist is going to be better than a lacrosse ball, but like three bucks forever, you know, is obviously a little bit more economic. And I would prefer to get massages once a week and, um, and try to get them frequently, but to bring it back to sort of the, what, what really anyone could reasonably do. Like I think until this last year, I only equated uh, lacrosse balls with arch, you know, rolling around in your foot. And that like you can use it for so many more parts of your body. So like chest tightness, lay down on the floor and I didn't come up with this, got it from the Internet. Um, so it's not mine, but like lay down on the floor, put it on the the very front of your shoulder socket and then just like wipe the 
uh, while you're in the prone position facing down with a lacrosse ball at the front of your shoulder and then wipe the floor with your hand. And you would be amazed at how much tension that relieves from the anterior part of your shoulder. You can do the same thing with the posterior part of your shoulder. You can put it inside your shoulder blade, do the same thing. You can massage your neck with that thing and it's three bucks forever. So and I just, I think as long as you just own the fact that, um, hey, like your flexibility, mobility, and, and I'm not preaching to you, Perry, just you, big you, you know, inclusive you, everyone. It, as long as like you own that your mobility and your flexibility and your like uh, is yours and, and start to like, that's like step one in all of this for, for really anyone. It was for me, definitely. Well, you are actually talking to me because Luke and Evan know I've been battling, dude, chronic neck pain for for years now. And I just, like I said, I just got a set of the, the two lacrosse balls, and I should have done it fucking long time ago. Um, now I don't know if this is gonna, you know, solve the problem necessarily. I've had some some you know different kind of preliminary evaluations to see what might be going on with nothing, you know, too conclusive coming back yet. But I'm gonna start trying to figure out how to address some of the the uh, the neck issues that I've been battling for a long time with these things and see if that gives me any relief at all. Um, the foam roller and the cups, I, I tried the cups um, for the first time a few months ago. And dude, I mean, it was amazing to see. I mean, it, you know, while you were doing it, it was the first time I'd ever done it, man, my, my back and my neck was absolutely black and blue, but it was, it was amazing. And I told my wife and we just hadn't done it yet, but it's, it's definitely on the list is we got to get a set of those and I'm going to start using them because I'm damn, I'm damn getting too old to start or to keep neglecting that stuff. And I want to have the ability to physically do the things I want to do, go on the hunts. I want to, you know, go on, take the trips. I want to do, um, continue the, and, and actually get more into the physical activity like I should. And, um, you know, I always heard an ounce of, um, preparation is worth a pound of cure. And it's time to actually start implementing that. Yeah, that's definitely true, man. I mean, take it as somebody who didn't do that and just fucking tore his quad. Like, it, it, it's a real thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kicking myself because I knew better. Um, and so I, th- I think what you just said it hit the nail on the head. But with, with your neck pain, man, so kind of circling back, with the foam roller, I've got one that's got all the spikes in it, but then it's got like a little cup that your spine sits in. And so – I was, I was actually at the chiropractor and I was really tight and I was having a lot of issues. And the chiropractor said I was starting to develop like a hump. I was like, what? And he's like, like, like a hunchback. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and like, I looked at my picture of myself and I really know nice. you're a gorilla. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't wait till the guys on the team hear this. I started, this was years ago. And I, and I looked at the, this is probably three or four years ago. And I looked at like a picture and I realized like my posture was off. And I'm, I'm still don't have the best posture in the world, right? Like the army trains completely like your front end. It's all fucking abs, hip flexors, chest. You don't do any posterior chain work for the current APFT. The ACFT is going to be better if it doesn't get changed by everybody. Yeah, we'll just leave. We'll just leave that where it lies. Don't you leave that alone? Yeah, bud? yeah. We'll just not say anything about that. But that's the problem is when we develop and then we're constantly sitting, right? We're over a computer, like we're fucking officers. We're fucking always on a computer. Like you start to get very enclosed. You're deadlifting heavy. You're doing all these things that pull you in. And so 
I realized like, fuck. And so I, I started doing a lot of research and it was like thoracic, like T-spine. I saw T-spine. I was like, what the fuck's T-spine? It's your thoracic spine. It's your spine from like here to here. Where, and, where is that? And you got to start opening all that up. And so I, oh yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm talking to the, so from basically from like your neck to your lower pecs is your thoracic spine. And so by laying on that, what I started to do was lay on the foam roller. I would start at the lower end and just lay back. And dude, it was so painful at first. I mean, it was terrible. I could barely like lay there. I would like pulsate and shit. And then like, I would sit there and, and like focus on my breathing and try to get a release. And I did this for literally every day for weeks. And I started to be able to lay across that back of that uh, foam roller to where I, my shit would open up. And I don't really have that curved spine anymore. And it really started to open me up. And when I started, to know, I used to have a lot of really bad back pain and it, it really started to alleviate all that. And so now if I start getting back pain, if my neck starts hurting, I start laying across that. I'll do it perpendicular to my spine first, really try to open up and let each vertebrae kind of like start to stretch and decompress over the foam roller all the way up, all the way up to my neck. And I'll lay there with my neck and let it do. And like what will happen is you start to feel the release and then I'll be able to crack my neck. And like I couldn't crack my neck before because my shit was so tight. And then what I'll do is then I'll flip it parallel to my spine and lay on it and then let my shoulder blades fly into, across it. And so that now it's like per, it's perpendicular with my shoulder blades and my shoulder blades can start to open up. I'll kind of like angel wing it and start to stretch out my pecs and then still my, my you know, uh, my chest and my uh, sp- spine as well. And that that's made a world of difference. If you would try those techniques, I guarantee you'll feel at least some relief on the neck. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I'm, it's definitely it's definitely something I need to to start doing because it's you know it's getting old dealing with this and and I don't I I'm past the point. I, I don't want to be limited. I don't want my physical abilities to be the limiting factor in anything that I want to do at this point. You know we've um, you know we've talked about on previous episodes being able to pursue the lifestyle that we enjoy whether that's hunting, whether that's the physical activities, um, whether that's, you know, from your guys' perspective, some of your professional endeavors, it's, there's any number of limiting criteria in any of these pursuits. And I'm to the point where um, time management is always going to be a factor. Um, professional endeavors, family obligations, all those things are always going to be going to be there. I don't want my physical abilities, my physical capabilities to be the limiting factor for me in determining what I can or cannot do. I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, I I think everything you said was hit the nail right on the head. And I think that's the perfect way to wrap this episode up is just, you know, we kind of started out talking about some of our individual programming and what we're doing. And we kind of, you know, went on a rabbit hole on recovery and stuff, but I think it's honestly more important. And it's it's the perfect topic with me just tearing my quad. And and as we kind of, look at the holistic approach to training and wellness and everything. Like you have to take care of yourself and you have to focus on, on these things and getting ahead of a lot of the problems and identifying where the problems are coming from. Cause I think, like you said, all of us at this age, we're, we're starting to deal with the, all the little dings and nicks when we were younger are starting to manifest themselves a little more as we get, we get older, but we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, man. I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Pete. You got any closing thoughts? Um, no, I really love this discussion because uh, I think as the more you start to realize that uh, there are other things you can do if like 
you have a, a, a problem and like that you can take ownership of the, the more like there's a sense of empowerment that goes along with that, that will carry into like other aspects of like any kind of physical practice you have. Um, but I will say, I, I guess I'll close by saying that um, currently working towards uh, I'm, I'm on track to get certified as a certified strength and conditioning specialist this summer. Um, and am working toward, uh, with some of my friends really to do some programming with them. Um, and I really am passionate about trying to share, uh, what I learned from my own physical practice and through other people that are willing to try out, uh, what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing all those lessons learned, um, and hope to be able to contribute, uh, what I learned through that and then studying for the strength and conditioning conditioning specialist certification, uh, hopefully soon with the Hunt Lifted community. Where can everybody find you on uh, social media? So I'm uh, mostly on Instagram uh, with very sporadic posts uh, that are probably very non-educational, but uh, it's at P.W. Sunderland, uh, S-U-N-D-E-R-L-E-N-D. Feel free to give me a follow. Uh, Hit me up there for any questions you might have on stuff, and I might not be able to answer your question, but I can refer you to someone that knows a lot more than I do, um, their Instagram page and YouTube page. So love to connect with people on that. Hell yeah, man. Perry, you got any closing thoughts? Yeah, no, appreciate it, Pete. You're, uh, you're, uh, definitely giving us a little bit more inspiration, just like last time. Looking forward to having you back on again and following up with you to see how the, uh, the training program is going as you get a little bit closer to the marathon date. And then definitely want to follow up with you afterwards and the, uh, the, the, the race and the and the, the lifting competition there to see how that played out um so yeah appreciate you having on well everybody as always we appreciate the hell out of you right before we just dropped the last episode we hit five thousand plays which is just absolutely fucking mind-blowing for me and perry i mean as we always say i mean it just blows our minds that you guys are interested in listening to us i've gotten a ton of dms recently with everybody reaching out with great feedback on the podcast and honestly it's it's humbling and it's just, it's, it's incredible. I love it. I was screenshotting some of them. I'm going to send them to Perry just so he can see him as well. Since you know he refuses to get on the social media, but thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. We should be getting some restocks of the hats in. Like I told you guys last week, if you guys want sweatshirts or any of the uh, kind of winter apparel, snag it now. Cause we're, we're not going to get it back in. I, I keep getting messages on the tiger stripe hoodies. I'm sorry, guys. I just can't one from a cash flow perspective and two from an, like a, just space perspective, like my basement, I can't hold anymore. We just did a massive order on the new gym line stuff. Uh, it's our biggest order to date uh, financially. So this is a, a pretty big expansion for us. So I hope you guys like the shit or it might be the end of Hunt Lift Deep. No, I'm just kidding. But it is a it is a pretty big order. And I think you guys are going to like it. I, I've, I've utilized a lot of your feedback. And then Caroline had a, a pretty key hand here in, in uh, designing all the women's clothes. So I think you guys new gals especially that I've been reaching out asking for a women's line are going to enjoy this next this next run and then we'll probably add in some of the kids t-shirts here shortly I know I said last week the hat restock was going to be in and it wasn't uh, it shouldn't be in by the time this one drops so go check it out uh, if it's not I'm sorry COVID delays like I ordered this these almost a month ago and so it's, it's they've just been really behind so we should be getting the new hats in they should be up uh, so definitely go check those out if you guys want to follow us on Instagram, if you don't already, it's at HuntLiftEatOfficial. Check out the website, www.HuntLiftEat.com, and leave us a rating and a review. Uh, I'm constantly getting messages, people asking like how they can help out. Honestly, for this podcast especially, if you leave us those ratings and reviews on uh, 
especially on, on the Apple side, because I think that's the only one you can actually do that on. That's what's going to help us as we get more sponsors and we can actually monetize this a little more to be able to produce a better product, bring in some more guests, you know, put in the money into better equipment and all that stuff. So if you want to if you want to support us, please leave us those reviews. Um, but as always, thank you guys so much. We're looking forward to it next time. I think we actually might have Pete and Perry right back on for, for the next episode. Thanks, y'all.